Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. Spring has sprung, at least according to the calendar. This past Monday was the first day of spring. For those of us here in the Northern Hemisphere, this is marked by the arrival of the vernal equinox. But what exactly does that term mean? In short, the vernal equinox marks the turning point for when there's more daylight over darkness. Coming up on today's broadcast, we'll talk a little bit about spring when, with Bill Boyer. We'll also have a discussion about grain marketing and break down the cattle markets with feed yard operator Mike Briggs. That is all coming up on today's show, but first, we kick things off with cattle manure. It certainly has the ability to improve soil health and provide yield stability and reliability. Manure contains an abundance of macro and micro micronutrients that are essential for plant growth. However, in order to achieve a sustainable and reliable yield, it's important to optimize the use of both manure and inorganic fertilizer nutrients. That's why over the last month, Nebraska Extension has been hosting in-person land application training sessions in order to discuss how to best use manure on your operation. The Nebraska Department of Environment and Energy is the entity responsible for issuing permits for animal feeding operations across the state of Nebraska as they require all manure handling operations for, to have permits to receive annual training as part of that permit requirement. And so we cover a number of topics in our land application training. Um, the basics of nutrient value in manure, why should we sample, how should we sample manure, um, same with soil sampling. And then we get more into that decision making. Where, where should I apply this manure to have the most um, impact, positive impact on my cropping system and to get the most value out of manure? And so that's, that's really where we've changed that program in the last few years is focusing more on the decision making aspect than just the science behind um, livestock manure use and management and movement in the environment. And so just kind of helping farmers talk through those different scenarios and make decisions based on more than just um, what field is closest and you know what's the quickest um, method or, or route for getting this manure applied to the field. We really want them to make those decisions based on the value of the manure, the quality of that land, and you know, the improvements that they want to see in, in their soil on different fields. While utilizing manure has its benefits, it isn't a silver bullet by any means. Manure application isn't meant to replace inorganic fertilizers. Instead, manure is meant to enhance the benefits of inorganic fertilizers. This training also dove into the importance of soil testing to determine where producers will get the most value out of their added manure on their respective operations. We typically look at manure as a complement to inorganic fertilizer, not necessarily a replacement, um, because it has a lot of soil quality, um, positive impacts on soil quality. We, we see greater aggregate stability in our soil, so when the, the soil particles are larger, it's um, harder for rain and uh, 
wind to erode those from the soil surface. And when those uh, soil particles are eroded, they can carry nutrients to um, water bodies off of the field. And so if we can improve that aggregate stability, we can um, see some reductions in nutrient transport and erosion from our fields. We also see um, better water infiltration, better water holding capacity. And one of the biggest benefits of manure over inorganic fertilizer, I mentioned how inorganic fertilizer is readily available to the plants right away. Organic fertilizer, the organic nitrogen in particular in manure becomes available over time. And so it's a slow release fertilizer and it tends um, to move through the soil profile less quickly and less easily than inorganic nitrogen. And so, you know, we think about our nitrate um, issues with groundwater in the state. One of the ways that we would like to see farmers begin addressing that is through the use of organic fertilizers uh, to complement their inorganic fertilizer use and improve soil structure, soil um, nutrient cycling, and, and those other uh, processes that that promote or reduce the leaching of nitrogen through the soil profile. Now, if you haven't had the chance to participate in one of these training sessions, you do have one more opportunity coming up on Tuesday, March 28th at the Platte County Extension Building located in Columbus, Nebraska. This session will begin at 9 a.m. and will include an update on regulations and discussions on how to best utilize manure on your operation. If you'd like some more information, or if you have any questions, you're encouraged to contact Leslie Johnson. Her information is posted at the bottom of your screen now. If you'd like to learn more about manure application, we've included a couple of informative links along with this story. Of course, you can find that on the Market Journal website. Well, each year, thousands of ag producers attend the annual Commodity Classic event. It's described as the nation's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused agricultural and educational experience. My colleague Susan Littlefield of the Rural Radio Network was on hand at this year's event to get some insights into the issues that are facing Nebraska producers. Another successful Commodity Classic is in the books with over 10,200 farmers attending to find out the latest and greatest in technology. But beyond that was the opportunity for many of the different commodity organizations to sit down and talk about the issues that were important to agriculture. In part, Corn Congress, as the NCGA brought delegates in from across the nation, including Jason Lewis, who farms near Henderson, Nebraska, and is a member of the Nebraska Corn Board and a delegate for Corn Congress. He talked about some of the issues and discussions on the Farm Bill. It's a Farm Bill year, so lots and lots of talk about the Farm Bill and if it'll happen and what's it going to take to happen and how much money is it going to be. Um, and so from our perspective, what we'd really like to see is we'd like to see it get done uh, as a bipartisan approach. Um, if not this year, hopefully before Congress gets out, maybe not this calendar year, but here soon. Um, when we've talked to our membership, uh, the things we've seen that we really want to stress was keeping crop insurance in there and keeping that protection. Um, we'd also like to see uh, protection for foreign trade. So market access programs, um, more emphasis on foreign, tra uh, foreign trade, uh, and then the last thing is that our, our members have told us that they've really appreciated the annual election um, between Art County and PLC. So we'd like to see that continue as well. Michael Dearburn is vice president of the Nebraska Corn Growers Association. He said during hallway talk in part of Corn Congress, a lot of discussion about what was going on with corn and Mexico. Any end users um, that uh, visit us 
during some of their trade missions, uh, reverse trade missions back to Nebraska. They constantly, um, constantly say how much they prefer um, not only Nebraska corn, but U.S. corn um, for their feeding operations, their food processing operations. And while, uh, you know, we're, we're take the administration's taking a step in the right direction with starting the, uh, it's called a technical consultation process uh, between the U.S. and Mexico on this. Uh, you know, it said that that could take up to 45 days and it doesn't uh, guarantee a, a reconciliation out of it. So we're going to keep the uh, keep beating the drum on it and make sure that uh, when it comes to completion that if it comes to the point where, U where USTR needs to make a uh, solution process um, uh, based on the USMCA agreement that both countries signed, um, you know, we're going to make sure that that gets done. Now next year, Commodity Classic will head to Houston, Texas, February 29th through March 2nd. And we'll have a bit of Nebraska flair as one of the convention co-chairs is Brandon Honeycutt from the Nebraska Corn Board. In Orlando, I'm Susan Littlefield. Thanks to Susan for that story. It was announced this week that Commodity Classic this year had a record-breaking attendance. As you heard Susan say, next year's event will be hosted down in Houston, Texas. Well, let's shift our focus now over to the cattle markets. This week, we caught up with one of our regular cattle market analysts. We traveled out to Briggs Feed Yard near Seward on Wednesday to catch up with Mike Briggs. This week on Market Journal, we are talking the cattle markets with Mike Briggs out here at Briggs Feed Yard. Mike, great to see you. Nice to see you guys. It's been a while. Got my papers flying all over this morning. A little, a little breezy. breezy. A little Not breezy. too bad, though. Let's talk about the most recent cattle on feed report that came out. What were some of the numbers that stuck out to you? You know, really, they didn't. They were kind of all as expected. You're going to see placements down because there's just not the supply of feeder cattle that we've had. Marketing's, you know, yeah, you'd like to see that a little better, but if you look at the on-feed, they can't be real big because there's not as many cattle on-feed. You're under that 100% level, so, and you're going to stay there for quite some time. Yeah, it seems like a few people were picking out the, the weights of the cattle and, and noticing a trend there, uh, light cattle headed to the feedlots. Well, you've got grain that's extremely high, our margins for what we're putting it on and what we're getting are very slim. It does not pay to overfeed your cattle. And you've had a lot of weather effects, especially on the poor guys out west. I say that kind of tongue in cheek. We've had a lot of bad winters where they've gotten away scot-free and they're really getting pounded. And I feel bad for them because, and those cattle are not gonna, not gonna weigh because they've been burned up from the cold and it's, the weight's not gonna be there. And I think it's gonna continue not being there. So that's gonna make, so you're going to have less animals and they're going to be smaller and you're going to be putting less pounds of beef on the market. This gets to a bit of a herd rebuilding question, but how long do you think we'll continue to see cattle on feed numbers uh, kind of where they're at now below 100%? All depends on mother nature and whether or not it rains. If it rains, you're going to see ranchers keep back heifers like crazy and then the supply really gets small because you don't have any heifers in the feed mix. But until it rains, it can last indefinitely. Well, let's talk about the cattle markets as you see them here in the middle of the week. Kind of had a, a rough start or rough as of late in the cattle complex for March. What's going on? Well, you know, we thought we were, this was going to be our turn, and yet now we got a little black swan fluttering in there staring in our face. The, you know, the always intelligent bankers are having a little problem in this banking system. If this banking system were to roll over and you have some kind of contagion, 
it's going to crush the economy, therefore it crushes the demand, and they'll just beat the dog out of these cattle. Now, the, what you all have going in your favor that's going to be in our favor is you've got fundamentals on your side. You do not have a lot of fat cattle, you're not going to have a lot of fat cattle, but you got to have demand. And this is this has frightened people a little bit. It's also the wrong time of the year. It's still too cold. It's got to warm up. We need to get into April, have the grills come out, and I think you'll see some better demand, provided the economy's not falling over into the abyss. I want to talk more about that because, as you mentioned, the fundamentals seem to be that they're all there, but it's this outside pressure weighing on the market. You tie most of, not all that, to the, the banking uh, situation right now. What else might be impacting that? Well, that and inflation, fuel prices, all these other things that are pulling money out of people's pockets. The, the amount of free cash that these people have has getting smaller and it continues to get smaller. So demand is where it all lies. So I'm hoping as we get into April, May, June, things settle out a little bit with the economy, smooth out a little bit. People have, get a little exuberance, want to go outside, want to pull out the grills, and demand comes with it. Then we'll have, then we'll have an opportunity here. Think we might have found a bottom for the live and feeder cattle on the future side? I think we're close, once again, depending on the market. But it's, it's interesting, this whole, this whole cattle market is going to depend on cash. Cash is going to have to drive this thing. The board is not going to drag us up. In fact, right now it's kind of dragging us down and the Packers playing his little games with, well, I'm going to clean coolers this week so I don't need so many cattle and all that, how they manage their supply. So we need the pull through from the consumer so that the Packer has to buy cattle, then we can get something done. Mike, I want to step away kind of from the, the cattle markets and talk about some cattle news, so to speak. Last time you were on, we talked about RFID, RFID ear tags. Yep. This time, USDA has come out with some rules about country of origin labeling, kind of a voluntary label, but tightening down uh, how that is administered. Your thoughts on that? You know, I, I've always questioned the country of origin labeling because you add expense to the system, and that expense comes at the expense of the producer because we're the ones that have to put in the EID tags. The paperwork has got to go with the animals so you can trace them. But I am totally in favor of traceability of our, in our industry. Guys fight it, and it's because they don't want the government having all their numbers. Well, I would rather have all that, all that information housed by a private business. It's contained. Everybody can't get to it because it's not in the government sphere. I'm all for it as far as traceability. So if we have an animal health issue, we can trace it down, find it, and contain it. And right now we don't have that, and I think that is just really bad business on our part because you get something like foot and mouth rolling, it could bring down the whole industry, and it doesn't need to if you know where it came from and you can contain it. All right, as we begin to wrap up our time, Mike, what's your biggest concern out there right now for a feedlot owner? <laughs> wow, that's hard to narrow to one because we got a lot of dark clouds rolling around here with the economy, but probably that and mother nature mother nature needs it needs to rain i believe the drought's over the la nina's dying it's almost dead that's what's caused our drought not global warming and i think we're going to get some rain here and we can start rebuilding the herd until we rebuild the herd and get more numbers it's going to be a real struggle in the feed yard to keep capacity and if you can't keep capacity it's pretty hard to make any money give you the final word this week what do you want to leave us with Things are gonna get better, I believe, but don't run around like a drunken sailor and think there's never gonna be another bad day because that's when you get killed. But think, think we got a good summer. We got a good spring in front of us, I think. Mike, we appreciate the time. Thank, Thank you. you.
Always a pleasure to get Mike's perspective on the markets. Now, coming up next week, we'll be joined by Darren Fessler from Lakefront Futures and Options. If you have a question you'd like me to ask Darren, be sure to email us or get in touch on social media. I'll be sure to pass your question along. The Doherty Water for Food Global Institute at the University of Nebraska often leads conversations about the connection between water resources and the future of food security around the world. Executive Director Peter McCormick points out that half of the world's rivers that don't have enough water in them exist in the most food insecure parts of the world. You can learn more about the challenges that the Institute is tackling by reading a question and answer with McCormick in the March issue of the Nebraska Farmer. What well, is now time to get an update on weather with Market Journal weather analyst Bill Boyer. Bill, spring has sprung. I mentioned that at the top of the show, but out in your way, out by Scott's Bluff, I understand you saw more snow this past week. Well, of course, it's the winter that won't end, Bryce, and we're seeing that uh, going to continue this week and on into next. Our 8 to 14 day outlook shows temperatures that are going to be below normal across most of the middle part of the country with near normal precips. That means we're probably in for some more rain and snow and uh, cold temperatures. We still need some help though. Drought conditions remain extreme here from uh, our area in the Panhandle down to Southwest, North Central and exceptional drought conditions in Northeast Nebraska. But the seasons they're changing away from snow. It's severe weather awareness week this week in Nebraska and Iowa. And we want to remind you some of the tornado terminology you're going to hear. A tornado watch means be prepared. Conditions are favorable for a tornado. If you hear a tornado warning, that means take action. Either a tornado has been spotted or indicated by radar and in the rare situation you hear a tornado emergency that means there's a severe threat to human life and catastrophic damage so if you hear that tornado emergency it's very rare and you need to seek shelter immediately so let's talk about shelter for a moment are you storm ready ask yourself will my home provide a good location to take shelter if the answer is no then maybe see if you can find a neighbor or a family member someone whose house uh, that's nearby if you still can't find one of those, then know where a storm shelter is that's open in your community. Regardless of where you find your shelter, make sure that everyone knows where your shelter is, then you're storm ready. Now that's part of tornado activity, and if you're in your home during a tornado, where should you go? Well, pretty simple. Let's look here into the tornado. Uh, the house you want to go into these interior rooms, these green areas, closets, hallways, stairs. Cover yourself with a blanket. Avoid outside windows and walls. And if you got a basement, even better. That's the best place to go in the event of a tornado. I want to talk a little bit here about lightning real quick and we'll wrap up our severe weather safety. These are lightning fatalities. Notice right here, 21 fatalities uh, coming from farming and ranching. That's more than golfing, more than soccer, more than social gatherings, roofing, things like that. So if you're going to be outdoors working in the summer, make sure you pay attention to lightning as it is nature's number one killer. Well, no lightning to speak of this week. We've got little pieces of energy that are going to push off the West Coast and leave remnants for us. We'll see some rain and snow over the weekend out West and then by early next week, some rain in Eastern Nebraska, maybe some snow in the Northwest. You see this bigger system coming on shore Tuesday into Wednesday. By the time it jumps over into our area, here's we go Thursday into Friday, it's going to leave a little remnants of stuff 
maybe a little moisture from us, but uh, overall, no big storm systems coming our way. As far as temperatures, we're going to start the week fairly mild, uh, colder temperatures out in the northwest, warmer temperatures in the south and east, and that's going to continue as we see some warmth building by the end of the week. As far as precip goes, light amounts expected for us here through the coming week. So yes, some snow this week, but the seasons are changing, Bryce. Thanks for that update, Bill. Finally today, here on Market Journal, you often hear about the importance of grain marketing. Many marketing services will tell you that pre-harvest marketing, also known as hedging, can help you increase your profitability. To learn more about hedging, I recently had the chance to catch up with UNL Associate Professor of Ag Economics, Corey Walters. Here's our conversation as part of this week's Crop Talk. Today on Crop Talk, we are joined by Corey Walters, and he is an associate professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska. Corey, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk a little bit about grain marketing and some different strategies here. You recently wrote uh, an article talking about hedging, so let's set it up from the from the ground up. What is hedging in your opinion? Yeah, the, the basic idea behind hedging is setting a price now for, for fall delivery. You're locking it in. Yeah. Locking it in, any idea on how many producers out there, or I guess maybe your personal opinion, how many producers out there today are using some hedging in their in their marketing? Uh, everywhere from 0% all the way up to, <laughs> to some are very, very active uh, getting in and out yeah. throughout the year. Yeah. Okay, Corey, so let's talk a little bit about some of the things you covered here in your article. You, a quote you had in there, you said, some when it comes to hedging, some producers smell the roses but feel the thorns. So it's feast or famine almost sometimes with hedging. What do you mean by that? So there's a common view of looking at hedging just in the, the immediate year. You know, we get, we get to the fall and we look back and said, I shouldn't have done that or I should have done more of that. And that's, well, it's reasonable. There, we, can, we can be better than that. And the idea is to look at what the market signals are over time, and that's the seasonals. Uh, in the historical series that we've, we've went through, the prices, prices typically go up in the spring at some point, and then they start dropping in, into fall. Now, whether or not that's going to continue into the future is a, is a theoretical question, uh, but we don't have any reason to think it won't, um, but we need to use past experience to help guide us, guide us into the future. And the other part of that is, is looking at your average price. Uh, when you hedge something in the spring and prices continue to go up into the, into the fall, think about what your average price is doing, not, not that, yo, I shouldn't have hedged because it went up. Uh, that, that's too narrow. Um, and at the same time, if you hedge and then prices go down, you, you uh, think of your average price as well. It's, it's moving down with you, but not to the same degree as it could. And, and it's those low prices that are low probability events that we want to stay away from because that's when bankers, bankers may not be as happy with us anymore. So it's thinking about the seasonal, thinking about the average farm price as you go through this thing. And we, we don't know forward looking what's going to happen. We, we have, we have uh, this upcoming year will give us a different price path than we've ever seen. It'll look completely different than last year's. Um, and it's going to be unique. So we, we have to manage that knowing that we're, we're putting out a lot of money for a crop of corn these days and we need to manage our revenue so that we, we can remain financially viable. One of the things you mentioned is the fact that crop insurance can uh, come in here and uh, help give some reassurance, I suppose, so to speak, uh, when it comes to if you're going to do some, some pre-harvest marketing or hedging. Yeah, crop insurance revolutionized how we think about uh, how much we pre-harvest hedge. Um, it, it, uh, before that, you know, it was pretty much very little uh, to zero. 
and now you can you can walk up that a little ways. And, and in the article, we went to 40% uh, through some other research. That's where we found is a pretty good point uh, early in the year. And of course, once we know we get past droughts, things like that, um, where prices can really go up, you know, when production goes down, you get caught in that pinch where you can't deliver, uh, then you, you, can, you can open that up more. Uh, but for the time being, until we know whether that drought's coming, um, and we're not going to be able to perform on our contracts, that's about, that's about a reasonable size, somewhere around that 40%. So tell me more about the, the different scenarios you looked at to come to that number of 40% seems to be a decent number to look at. So we looked at the, the trade-off between expected income and risk. And what we included in that then was not only just the premiums for crop insurance, but also the buyback costs. When you, when you can't deliver, how much is it going to cost you to get out? And, and in that, there was, there was a pretty good trade-off there um, that, that stopped us going much over, over 40% to keep those buybacks down uh, and make sure that you're still able to, to go with the market because you don't, you don't want to hedge everything and then watch the market go way up, right? That, that, that can put you in a bad spot too. So it's a, it's a balance. Um, we use computer models to try to simplify this complex world. Uh, it's a great tool, but it still is a model. and We need to still filter that for for how does it work for our operation. So what we're providing is guidance, not, not wholesale rules, uh, but, but ideas on how, how to think about these things. Because including crop insurance uh, in our environment today with uh, the prices we're at, the input costs we're at, uh, the potential for where prices can go, it's complex. There's a, there's a lot on the table here uh, that, that can impact us. Going back to, you know, kind of the premise of this whole conversation, you yourself are not necessarily advocating people to, to hedge, but more create a mind shift of sorts uh, of shifting your thinking to creating a farm average price. Let's reiterate that point. Yes, I, I am not advocating uh, everyone, you know, start changing their behavior and start hedging, but to think about that farm average price, how that's working with you when you, you have a, a portfolio of hedged bushels and unhedged bushels uh, and not think of just what I should have done or shouldn't have done looking back because we have to live in a forward-looking view. We, we can't see what's going to happen uh, coming up here in the next couple of months. We, we don't know, but there's a range and we want to protect that range, that, that some certain outcomes, low prices in particular. We don't, we don't want that yeah. um, because that, with our input costs where they're at, it can really start to hurt uh, financially. We want to stay away from that. We have to value that even if those prices don't turn out in the fall. It's, it's not that, that uh, uh, they happened or not, it's whether, uh, sorry, let me say that a little different. It's not whether we experience it, it's more important of we protected ourselves from it because there's a chance it can happen. And we don't know in any given year going forward when, when that can happen. Always keeping that, uh, you know, your eye uh, facing forward. It's uh, sometimes challenging but important, it sounds like. Absolutely, yes. Corey, thanks for coming in. We appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks again to Corey for his time this week. If you're interested in getting some more insights on this topic, we've posted an informational link along with this interview. You can find them both on the Market Journal website. Well, that is going to do it for this week's show. If you'd like to go back and watch some of our recent episodes, you can now do so on the platform called Acres TV. It is a free channel available on your Roku, Fire TV, and anytime online at watchacrestv.com. We hope to see you back here next week as we celebrate some of Nebraska's outstanding youth at this year's Nebraska FFA State Convention. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskett, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu 
You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.